in our previous two chapters, chapters seven and eight, the Ministry of Magic and the Hearing. Um, it's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Harry goes in for his Ministry of Magic hearing to determine, is his wand going to get snapped? Is he expelled from Hogwarts? Is he effectively going to get ostracized from the magical community? And it would appear he is not. That's the short version. Um, the slightly longer version, I'm going to try to keep it short. short. Um, the slightly longer version is that um, he enters. Apparently, he's being tried by the entirety of the wizard gamut. Um, this is a, a big body of wizards. Um, essentially, this case is being taken a lot more seriously than he expected. Um, uh, Cornelius Fudge, the Minister of Magic, is absolutely not on his side here. Um, he's done a full 180, and Harry thinks about that as he's being accused of all these things, of, of, uh, of using magic underage, of using magic in full view of a muggle. Um, and, of course, this is scary to Harry. Um, he's not being allowed to say much in his own defense. Fortunately, however, Dumbledore arrives. Now, they, they, they jimmied around the time of the... jimmied around? How old am I? Uh, they, they fiddled with the time of the hearing and uh, moved it up. They changed the location. It seems like they're doing everything possible to make this difficult for Harry and his allies, like Dumbledore, to come to Harry's defense. Um, but Dumbledore does show up, presents a good defense, and in spite of some new antagonists, like a, a woman in pink, I, th I believe her name was something like Dolores Umbridge, something like that, uh, despite the appearance of some new antagonists, Harry does manage to retain his uh, enrollment at Hogwarts. He keeps his wand. Uh, thanks to Dumbledore's help and the help of Arabella Fig, uh, Mrs. Fig, good old Mrs. Fig from down the street. Ashley says, I love it here. Thanks for doing this, Sam. You are so welcome. I love doing it. I love it. I love it when it's working properly. I love what can I, when I can actually be here with you guys. Luke, welcome. I don't, I don't know if I remember seeing your name around before. Luke Alejo, welcome. <laughs> Stayed up. It's 5 a.m. in Ukraine. In Ukraine. Welcome, welcome to uh, welcome to Sidecar Stories from the Ukraine. Awesome, um, but uh, Harry is clear to the charges. Of course, there is a, a bit of a spat between Dumbledore and the Wizen Gamut regarding um, what Dumbledore has already been saying in the Wizarding World about how Voldemort is back and the Dementors in that alleyway were no longer under the control of the Ministry of Magic. All this is a good thing, right? Well, it would be, except for one thing, and that is that Harry can't get Dumbledore to interact with him at all. Very strange. So, let's proceed. We're actually reading tonight, thank goodness. I was hoping we were going to be able to do at least some. And Like I said, we're only doing one chapter tonight because of the delay. Um... I will be getting back, and we'll be back on our regular schedule next week, hopefully. I'm going to try and do a couple of test streams, um honestly, before Tuesday, ideally, so that I can get some of these things sorted out once more before uh, I bring it in front of you guys and have you guys wait for an hour <laughs> while I'm trying to get the stream sorted out. So, let's do this. <laughs> Chapter 9. 
the woes of Mrs. Weasley. Dumbledore's abrupt departure took Harry completely by surprise. He remained sitting where he was in the chained chair, struggling with his feelings of shock and relief. The Wizengamot were all getting to their feet, talking, gathering up their papers, and packing them away. Harry stood up. Nobody seemed to be paying him the slightest bit of attention, except the toad-like witch on Fudge's right, who was now gazing down at him instead of at Dumbledore. Ignoring her, he tried to catch Fudge's eye, or Madame Bones, wanting to ask whether he was free to go, but Fudge seemed quite determined not to notice Harry, and Madame Bones was busy with her briefcase, so he took a few tentative steps toward the exit, and when nobody called him back, broke into a very fast walk. He took the last few steps at a run, wrenched the door open, and almost collided with Mr. Weasley, who was standing right outside, looking pale and apprehensive. Uh, Dumbledore didn't say... Cleared, Harry said, pulling the door closed behind him, of all charges. Beaming, Mr. Weasley seized Harry by the shoulders. Harry, that's wonderful. Well, of course, they couldn't have found you guilty. Not on the evidence, but even so, I can't pretend that I wasn't... But Mr. Weasley broke off, because the courtroom door had just opened again. The Wizengamot were filing out. Merlin's beard, exclaimed Mr. Weasley, wonderingly, pulling Harry aside to let them all pass. You were tried by the full court. I think so, said Harry quietly. One or two of the wizards nodded to Harry as they passed, and a few, including Madame Bones, said... Good morning, Arthur, to Mr. Weasley, but most averted their eyes. Cornelius Fudge and the toad-like witch were almost the last to leave the dungeon. Fudge acted as though Mr. Weasley and Harry were part of the wall, but again, the witch looked almost appraisingly at Harry as she passed. Last of all to pass was Percy. Like Fudge, he completely ignored his father and Harry. He marched past clutching a large roll of parchment and a handful of spare quills, his back rigid and his nose in the air. The lines around Mr. Weasley's mouth tightened slightly, but other than this he gave no sign that he had seen his third son. "'I'm going to take you straight back so you can tell the others the good news,' he said, beckoning Harry forward as Percy's heels disappeared up the steps to level nine. "'I'll drop you off on the way to that toilet in Bethnal Green. Come on.' So, what will you have to do about the toilet? Harry asked, grinning. Everything suddenly seemed five times funnier than usual. It was starting to sink in. He was cleared. He was going back to Hogwarts. Oh, it's just a simple enough anti-jinx, said Mr. Weasley as they mounted the stairs. Well, it's not so much having to repair the damage. It's more the attitude behind the vandalism, Harry. Muggle-baiting might strike some wizards as funny, but it's an expression of something much deeper and nastier. And I, for one, Mr. Weasley broke off in mid-sentence. They had just reached the ninth-level corridor, and Cornelius Fudge was standing a few feet away from them, talking quietly to a tall man with sleek blonde hair and a pointed, pale face. The second man turned at the sound of their footsteps. He, too, broke off in mid-conversation. His cold gray eyes narrowed and fixed upon Harry's face. 
Well, well, well. Patronus Potter, said Lucius Malfoy coolly. Harry felt winded, as though he just walked into something solid. He had last seen those cold gray eyes through slits in a Death Eater's hood, and last heard that man's voice jeering in a dark graveyard while Lord Voldemort tortured him. Harry could not believe that Lucius Malfoy dared look him in the face. He couldn't believe that he was here, in the Ministry of Magic, or that Cornelius Fudge was talking to him. When Harry had told Fudge mere weeks ago that Malfoy was a Death Eater. The minister was just telling me about your lucky escape, Potter, drawled Mr. Malfoy. Quite astonishing, the way that you continue to wriggle out of very tight holes, snake-like, in fact. Mr. Weasley gripped Harry's shoulder in warning. Yeah, said Harry. Yeah, I'm good at escaping. Lucius Malfoy raised his eyes to Mr. Weasley's face. And Arthur Weasley, too. What are you doing here, Arthur? I work here, said Mr. Weasley, curtly. Not here, surely, said Mr. Malfoy, raising his eyebrows and glancing toward the door over Mr. Weasley's shoulder. I thought you were up on the second floor. Don't you do something that involves sneaking muggle artifacts home and bewitching them? No, Mr. Weasley snapped, his fingers now biting into Harry's shoulder. What are you doing here, anyway? Harry asked Lucius Malfoy. I don't think private matters between myself and the minister are any concern of yours, Potter, said Malfoy, smoothing the front of his robes. Harry distinctly heard the gentle clinking of what sounded like a pocket full of gold. Really, just because you are Dumbledore's favourite boy, you must not expect the same indulgence from the rest of us. Shall we go up to your office then, Minister? Certainly, said Fudge, turning his back on Harry and Mr. Weasley. This way, Lucius. They strode off together, talking in low voices. Mr. Weasley did not let go of Harry's shoulder until they had disappeared into the lift. Why wasn't he waiting outside Fudge's office if they've got business to do together? Harry burst out furiously. What was he doing down here? Uh, trying to sneak down to the courtroom, if you ask me, said Mr. Weasley, looking extremely agitated and glancing over his shoulder, as though making sure they were not being overheard. Trying to find out whether you'd been expelled or not. I'll leave a note for Dumbledore when I drop you off. He ought to know that Malfoy's been talking to Fudge again. What private business have they got together, anyway? Gold, I expect, said Mr. Weasley angrily. Malfoy's been giving generously to all sorts of things for years. Gets him in with the right people, then he can ask for favours. Delay laws he doesn't want passed. Oh, he's very well connected, Lucius Malfoy. The lift arrived. It was empty except for a flock of memos that flapped around Mr. Weasley's head as he pushed the button for the atrium, and the doors clanged shut. He waved them away irritably. Mr. Weasley, said Harry slowly, if Fudge is meeting Death Eaters like Malfoy, if he's seen them alone, how do we know that they haven't put the Imperious Curse on him? Don't think it hasn't occurred to us, Harry, said Mr. Weasley quietly. But 
Dumbledore thinks Fudge is acting of his own accord at the moment, which, as Dumbledore said, is not a lot of comfort. Best not to talk about it any more just now, Harry. The doors slid open, and they slipped out into the now almost deserted atrium. Eric, the watch wizard, was hidden behind his daily prophet again. They had walked straight past the golden fountain before Harry remembered. Wait, he told Mr. Weasley, and, pulling his money bag from his pocket, he turned back to the fountain. He looked up into the handsome wizard's face, but close up, Harry thought he looked rather weak and foolish. The witch was wearing a vapid smile like a beauty contestant, and from what Harry knew of goblins and centaurs, they were most unlikely to be caught staring so soppily at humans of any description. Only the house elf's attitude was creep only the house elves' attitude of creeping servility looked convincing. With a grin at what Hermione would say if she could see the statue of the elf, Harry turned his money bag upside down and emptied not just ten galleons, but the whole contents into the pool. I knew it, yelled Ron, punching the air. You always get away with stuff. They were bound to clear you, said Hermione, who looked positively faint with anxiety when Harry had entered the kitchen and was now shaking, holding a shaking hand over her eyes. There was no case against you at all. None. Everyone seems quite relieved, though, considering you all knew I'd get off, said Harry, smiling. Mrs. Weasley was wiping her face on her apron, and Fred, George, and Ginny were doing a kind of war dance with a chant that went, He got off! He got off! He got off! That's enough! Settle down! shouted Mr. Ma Mr. Weasley, though he too was smiling. Listen, Sirius, Lucius Malfoy was at the ministry. What? said Sirius sharply. He got off! He got off! He got off! Be quiet, you three! Yes, we saw him talking to Fudge on level nine. Then they went up to Fudge's office together. Dumbledore ought to know. Absolutely, said Sirius. I'll tell him. Don't worry. Well, I'd better get going. There's a vomiting toilet waiting for me in Bethnal Green. Molly, I'll be late. I'm covering for Tonks, but Kingsley might be dropping in for supper. He got off! He got off! He got off! That's enough! Fred George Ginny, said Mrs. Weasley, as Mr. Weasley left the kitchen. Harry, dear, come and sit down, have some lunch. You hardly ate any breakfast. Ron and Hermione sat themselves down opposite him, looking happier than they had done since he had first arrived at Grimald Place, and Harry's feelings of giddy relief, which had been somewhat dented by his encounter with Lucius Malfoy, swelled once again. The gloomy house seemed warmer and more welcoming all of a sudden. Even Creature looked less ugly as he poked his snout-like nose into the kitchen to investigate the source of all the noise. "'Of course, once Dumbledore's turned up on your side, there's no way they were going to convict you,' said Ron happily, now dishing great mounds of mashed potatoes onto everyone's plates. "'Yeah, he swung it for me,' said Harry. He thought it would sound highly ungrateful, not to mention childish, to say, I wish he'd talked to me, though, or even looked at me. And as he thought this, the scar on his forehead burned so badly that he clapped his hand to it. What's up? said Hermione, looking alarmed. Scar, Harry mumbled. But it's nothing. It happens all the time now. 
None of the others had noticed a thing. All of them were now helping themselves to food while Harry... while gloating over Harry's narrow escape. Fred, George, and Ginny were still singing. Hermione looked rather anxious, but before she could say anything, Ron said happily, I bet Dumbledore turns up this evening to celebrate with us, you know. I don't think you'll be able to, Ron, said Mrs. Weasley, setting a huge plate of roast chicken down in front of Harry. He's really very busy at the moment. He got off, he got off, he got off. Shut up, roared Mrs. Weasley. Over the next few days, Harry could not help noticing that there was one person within number 12 Grimald Place who did not seem wholly overjoyed that he would be returning to Hogwarts. Sirius had put up a very good show of happiness on the first hearing of the news, wringing Harry's hand and beaming at him just like the rest of them. Soon, however, he was moodier and surlier than before, talking less to everybody, even Harry, and spending increasing amounts of time shut up in his mother's room with Buckbeak. "'Don't you go feeling guilty?' said Hermione sternly, after Harry had confided in some of after Harry had confided some of his feelings to her and Ron while they scrubbed out a mouldy cupboard on the third floor a few days later. You belong at Hogwarts, and Sirius knows it. Personally I think he's being selfish. That's a bit harsh, Hermione, said Ron, frowning as he attempted to prise off a bit of mould that had attached itself firmly to his finger. You wouldn't want to be stuck up inside this house without any company. He'll have company, said Hermione. It's headquarters to the Order of the Phoenix, isn't it? He just got his hopes up that Harry would be coming to live with him. I don't think that's true, said Harry, wringing out his cloth. He wouldn't give me a straight answer when I asked him if I could. He just didn't want to get his own hopes up even more, said Hermione wisely. And he probably felt a bit guilty himself, because I think a part of him was really hoping that you'd be expelled. Then you'd both be outcasts together. Come off it, said Harry and Ron together, but Hermione merely shrugged. Suit yourselves. But I sometimes think, think that Ron's mum has got it right, and Sirius gets confused about whether you're you or your father, Harry. So you think he's touched in the head, said Harry heatedly. No, I just think he's been very lonely for a long time, said Hermione simply. At this point, Mrs. Weasley entered the bedroom behind him. You still not finished, she said, poking her head into the cupboard. I thought you might be here to tell us to have a break, said Ron bitterly. Do you know how much mould we've got rid of since we arrived here? You were so keen to help the order, said Mrs. Weasley. You can do your part by making sure that the headquarters is fit to live in. I feel like a house elf, grumbled Ron. Well, now you understand what dreadful lives they lead, perhaps you'll be a bit more active in SPEW, said Hermione hopefully, as Mrs. Weasley left them to it. You know, maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea to show everyone exactly how horrible it is to clean all the time. We could do a, a sponsored scrub of Gryffindor Common Room, all proceeds to SPEW. It would raise awareness as well as funds. I'll sponsor you to shut up about spew, Ron muttered irritably, but so only Harry could hear him. Harry found himself daydreaming about Hogwarts more and more as the end of the holidays approached. He could not wait to see Hagrid again, to play Quidditch, even to stroll across the vegetable patches in the herbology greenhouses. 
It would be a treat just to leave this dusty, musty house where half the cupboards were still bolted shut and Creature wheezed insults out of the shadows as you passed. Larry was careful not to say any of this within earshot of Sirius. The fact was that living at the headquarters of the anti-Voldemort movement was not nearly as interesting or exciting as Harry would have expected before he had experienced it. Though members of the Order of the Phoenix came and went regularly, sometimes staying for meals, sometimes only a few spare minutes of whispered conversation, Mrs. Weasley made sure that Harry and the others were kept well out of earshot, whether extendable or normal, and nobody, not even serious, seemed to feel that Harry needed to know anything more than he had heard on the night of his arrival. On the very last day of the holidays, Harry went sweeping up... Harry was sweeping up Hedwig's owl droppings from the top of the wardrobe, when Ron entered their bedroom carrying a couple of envelopes. Uh, book lists have arrived, he said, throwing one of the envelopes up to Harry, who was standing on a chair. About time. I thought they'd forgotten. They usually come much earlier than this. Harry swept the last of the droppings into a rubbish bag and threw the bag over Ron's head into the waste paper basket in the corner, which swallowed it and belched loudly. Then he opened his letter. It contained two pieces of parchment. One, the usual reminder that term started on the 1st of September, the other telling him which books he would need for the coming year. Only two new ones, he said, reading the list. The Standard Book of Spells, Grade 5, by Miranda Goshawk, and Defensive Magical Theory, by Wilbert Slinkhard. Fred and George apparated right beside Harry. He was so used to them doing this by now that he didn't even fall off his chair. We were just wondering who assigned that Slinkhard book, said Fred conversationally. Because it means Dumbledore's found a new defense against the dark arts teacher, said George. And about time, too, said Fred. What do you mean? Harry asked, jumping down beside them. Well, we overheard Mum and Dad talking on the extendable ears a few weeks back, Fred told Harry. And from what they were saying, Dumbledore was having a real trouble finding anyone to do the job this year. Not surprising, is it, when you look at what's happened to the last four, said George. One sacked, one dead, one's memory removed, and one locked in a trunk for nine months, said Harry, counting them off on his fingers. Yeah, I see what you mean. What's up with you, Ron? asked Fred. Ron did not answer. Harry looked around. Ron was standing very still with his mouth slightly open, gaping at his letter from Hogwarts. What's the matter? said Fred impatiently, moving around Ron to look over his shoulder at the parchment. Fred's mouth fell open, too. Prefect, he said, staring incredulously at the letter. Prefect. George leapt forward, seizing the envelope in Ron's hand and turning it upside down. Harry saw something scarlet and gold fall into George's palm. No way, said George in a hushed voice. There's been a mistake, said Fred, snatching the letter out of Ron's grasp and holding it up to the light as though checking for a watermark. No one in their right mind would make Ron a prefect. The twins' heads turned in unison and both of them stared at Harry. We thought you would assert, said Fred, in a tone that suggested Harry had tricked them in some way. We thought Dumbledore was bound to bit you, 
said Fred, said George indignantly. Winning the Triwizard and everything, said Fred. I suppose all the mad stuff must have counted against him, said Fred and George. Yeah, said Fred slowly. Yeah, you've caused too much trouble, mate. Well, at least one of you's got their priorities right. He strode over to Harry and clapped him on the back while giving Ron a scathing look. Prefect. Ickle Ronnie the Prefect. Oh, Mum's going to be revolting, groaned George, thrusting the Prefect badge back at Ron as though it contaminated him. Ron, who had still not said a word, took the badge, stared at it for a moment, and then held it out to Harry as though mutely asking for confirmation as though asking mutely for confirmation that it was genuine. Harry took it. A large P was superimposed on the Gryffindor lion. He had seen a badge just like this on Percy's chest at his very first day at Hogwarts. The door banged open. Hermione came tearing into the room, her cheeks flushed and her hair flying. There was an envelope in her hand. Did you... did you get... She spotted the badge in Harry's hand and let out a shriek. Oh, I knew it, she said excitedly, brandishing her letter. Me too, Harry, me too. No, said Harry quickly, pushing the badge back into Ron's hand. It's Ron, not me. It? What? Ron's prefect, not me, Harry said. Ron? said Hermione, her jaw dropping. But are you sure? I mean... She turned as red as Ron. Hmm. She turned red as Ron looked around at her with a defiant expression on his face. "'It's my name on the letter,' he said. "'I—' said Hermione, looking thoroughly bewildered. "'I—well, wow, well done, Ron, that's really—' "'Unexpected,' said George, nodding. "'No,' said Hermione, blushing harder than ever now. "'No, it's not. Ron's done loads of—he's really—' The door behind her opened a little wider, and Mrs. Weasley backed into the room, carrying a pile of freshly laundered clothes. "'Ginny said that the book lists had come at last,' she said, glancing around at all the envelopes as she made her way to the bed and started sorting the robes into two piles. "'If you give them to me, I'll take them over to Dargon earlier this afternoon. Get your books while you're packing. Run, I've got you get your more pyjamas. Those are six inches too short, at least. Can't believe how fast you're growing.' What colour would you like? You could give him red and gold, the match's badge, said George, smirking. Matches what? said Mrs. Weasley absently, rolling up a pair of maroon socks and placing them on Ron's pile. His badge, said Fred, with an air of getting the worst over quickly. His lovely, shiny, new prefix badge. Fred's words took a moment to penetrate Mrs. Weasley's preoccupation with pyjamas. Is, but, Ron, you'd not... Ron held up his badge. Mrs. Weasley let out a shriek just like Hermione's. Oh, I don't believe it! I don't believe it! Oh, Ron, how wonderful! A prefect! That's everyone in the family! What, what's a Fred Nye? Next door neighbours? Said George indignantly as his mother pushed him aside and flung her arms around her youngest son. Oh, wait till your father hears. Ron, I'm so proud of you. What wonderful news. You could end up head boy just like Bill and Percy. It's the first step. Oh, 
What a thing to happen in the middle of all this worry. I'm just thrilled. Oh, Ronnie! Fred and George were both making loud, retching noises behind her back, but Mrs. Weasley did not notice. Tight arms around Ron's neck, she was kissing him all over the face, which had turned a brighter scarlet than his badge. Mum, don't. Mum, get a grip, he muttered, trying to push her away. She let go of him and said breathlessly, Well, what will it be? We gave Percy an owl, but you've already got one, of course. What, what do you mean? Said, fr- said Ron, looking as though he didn't dare believe his ears. Well, you've got to have a reward for this, said Mrs. Weasley fondly. How about a nice new set of dress robes? We've already bought him some, said Fred sourly, as though he looked sincerely regretful about this generosity. Or a new cauldron. Charlie's old one is rusting through, or a new rat. You always like scabbers. Mum, said Ron hopefully, can I have a new broom? Mrs. Weasley's face fell slightly. Broomsticks were expensive. Not a really good one, Ron hastened to add. Just... Just a new one for a change. Mrs. Weasley hesitated and smiled. Of course he can. Well, I better get going if I've got a broom to buy to. I'll see you all later. Little Ronnie, a prefect. And don't forget to pack your trunks. A prefect? Oh, I'm all of a dither. She gave Ron yet another kiss on the cheek, sniffed loudly and bustled from the room. Fred and George exchanged looks. "'You don't mind if if we kiss you, do you, Ron?' said Fred in a falsely anxious voice. "'We could curtsy if you like,' said George. "'Oh, shut up,' said Ron, scowling at them. "'Or what?' said Fred, an evil grin spreading across his face. "'Going to put us in detention?' "'I'd love to see him try,' snickered George. "'He could if you don't watch out,' said Hermione angrily. Fred and George burst out laughing, and Ron muttered, Drop it, Hermione. We're going to have to watch our step, George, said Fred, pretending to tremble. With these two on our case? Yeah, looks like our law-breaking days are finally over, said George, shaking his head. And with another loud crack, the twins disappeared. Whick! Those, those two said Hermione furiously, staring up at the ceiling, through which they could now hear Fred and George roaring with laughter in the room upstairs. Don't pay any attention to them, Ron. They're only jealous. Uh, I don't think they are, said Ron doubtfully, also looking at the ceiling. They've always said only Pratt's become prefects. Still, he added on a happier note, they've never had new brooms. I wish I could go with Mum and choose. She'll never be able to afford a Nimbus, but there's the new clean sweep out. That would be great. Yeah, I think I'll go tell her I like the queen clean sweep, just so she knows. He dashed from the room, leaving Harry and Hermione alone. For some reason, Harry found he did not want to look at Hermione. He turned to his bed, picked up the pile of clean robes Mrs. Weasley had laid on it, and crossed the room to his trunk. Harry, said Hermione tentatively. Well done, Hermione, 
said Harry, so heartily it did not sound like his voice at all, and still not looking at her. Brilliant. Prefect. Great. Thanks, said Hermione. Um, Harry, could I borrow Hedwig so I can tell Mum and Dad? They'd be really pleased. I mean, prefect is something that they can understand. Yeah, no problem, said Harry, still in that horrible, hearty voice that did not belong to him. Take her! He leaned over his trunk, laid the robes on the bottom of it, and pretended to be rummaging for something while Hermione crossed to the wardrobe and called Hedwig down. A few moments passed. Harry heard the door close, but remained bent double, listening. The only sounds he could hear were the blank picture on the wall sniggering again, and the waste paper basket in the corner coughing up the owl droppings. He straightened up and looked behind him. Hermione had left and Hedwig was gone. Harry hurried across the room, closed the door, and then returned slowly to his bed and sank onto it, gazing unseeingly at the foot of his wardrobe. He had forgotten completely about prefects being chosen in the fifth year. He had been too anxious about the possibility of being expelled to spare a thought for the fact that the badges must be winging their way towards certain people. But if he had remembered, if he had thought about it, what would he have expected? Not this, said a small and truthful voice inside his head. Harry screwed up his face and buried it in his hands. He could not lie to himself. If he had known the prefect badge was on his way, he would have expected it to come to him, not Ron. Did this make him as arrogant as Draco Malfoy? Did he think himself superior to everyone else? Did he really believe he was better than Ron? No, said the small voice defiantly. Was that true? Harry wondered, anxiously probing his own feelings. I'm better at Quidditch, said the voice, but I'm not better at anything else. That was definitely true, Harry thought. He was no better than Ron in lessons. But what about outside lessons? What about those adventures that he, Ron, and Hermione had had together since starting at Hogwarts, often risking much worse than expulsion? Well, Ron and Hermione were with me most of the time said the voice in Harry's head. Not all the time, though, Harry argued with himself. They didn't fight quarrel with me. They didn't take on Riddle and the Basilisk. They didn't get rid of all those Dementors the night that Sirius escaped. They weren't in that graveyard with me, the night that Voldemort returned. And the same feeling of ill usage that had overwhelmed him on the night he had arrived rose again. I've definitely done more. Harry thought indignantly. I've done more than either of them. But maybe, said the small voice fairly, maybe Dumbledore doesn't choose prefects because they've got themselves into a load of dangerous situations. Maybe he chooses them for other reasons. Ron must have something that you don't. Harry opened his eyes and stared through his fingers at the wardrobe's clawed feet, remembering what Fred had said. No one in their right mind would make Ron a prefect. Harry gave a small snort of laughter. A second later, he felt sickened with himself. 
Ron had not asked Dumbledore to give him the Prefect Badge. It was not Ron's fault. Was he, Harry, Ron's best friend in the world, going to sulk because he didn't have a badge? Laugh with the twins behind Ron's back? Ruin this for Ron when for the first time he had beaten Harry at something? At this point, Harry heard Ron's footsteps in the stairs again. He stood up, straightened his glasses, and hitched a grin onto his face as Ron bounded back through the door. I just called her, he said happily. She says that she'll get a clean sweep if she can. Cool, Harry said, and he was relieved to hear that his voice had stopped sounding hearty. Listen, Ron. Well done, mate. The smile faded off of Ron's face. I, I, I never thought that it would be me, he said, shaking his head. I thought it would be you. Nah, I've caused too much trouble. Harry said, echoing Fred. Yeah, said Ron. Uh, I suppose. Well, better get our trunks packed, haven't we? It was odd how widely their possessions seemed to have scattered themselves since they had arrived. It took them most of the afternoon to retrieve their books and belongings from all over the house and stow them back inside their school trunks. Harry noticed that Ron kept moving his prefix badge around, first placing it on the bedside table, then putting it into his jeans pocket and taking it out and lying it on his folded robes, as though to see the effect of the red on the black. Only when Fred and George dropped in and offered to attach it to his forehead with a permanent sticking charm did he wrap it tenderly in his maroon socks and lock it in his trunk. Mrs. Weasley returned from Diagon Alley around six o'clock, laden with books and carrying a long package wrapped in thick brown paper that Ron took from her with a moan of longing. Never mind unwrapping it now. People are arriving for dinner. I want you all downstairs, she said, but the moment she was out of sight, Ron ripped off the paper in a frenzy and examined every inch of his new broom, an ecstatic expression on his face. Down in the basement, Mrs. Weasley had hung a scarlet banner over the heavily laden dinner table, which read, Congratulations, Ron and Hermione, new prefects. She looked in a better mood than Harry had seen her all holiday. "'I thought we'd have a little party, not a sit-down dinner,' she told Harry, Ron, Hermione, Fred, George, and Ginny as they entered the room. "'Your father and Bill are on the way, Ron. I sent them both owls, and they're thrilled,' she added, beaming. Fred rolled his eyes. Sirius, Lupin, Tonks, and Kingsley Shacklebolt were already there, and Mad-Eye Moody stomped in shortly after Harry had got himself a butterbeer. "'Oh, Alistair, I'm glad that you're here.' said Mrs. Weasley brightly, as Mad-Eye shrugged off his travelling cloak. "'I've been wanting to ask you for ages. Could you have a look in the writing desk in the drawing room and tell us what's inside it? I haven't wanted to open it just in case it's something really nasty.' "'No problem, Molly.' Moody's electric blue eye swiveled upwards and stared fixedly through the ceiling of the kitchen. "'Drawing room,' he growled as the pupil contracted. Desk in the corner. Eh, I see it. Eh, yeah, it's a buggart. You want me to go up and get rid of it, Molly? No, no, I'll do it myself later, beamed Mrs. Weasley. You have your drink. We're having a bit of a celebration, actually. She gestured at the scarlet banner. The fourth prefect in the family, she said fondly, ruffling Ron's hair. Hmm, prefect, eh? growled Moody, his normal eye on Ron and his magical eye swiveling around to gaze into the side of his head. 
Harry had the uncomfortable feeling it was looking at him, and moved away toward Sirius and Lupin. Well, congratulations, said Moody, still glaring at Ron with his normal eye. Authority figures already attract trouble. But I suppose Dumbledore thinks that you can withstand most major jinxes, or he wouldn't have appointed you. Ron looked rather startled at this, at this view of the matter, but was saved the trouble of responding by the arrival of his father and eldest brother. Mrs. Weasley was in such a good mood she did not even complain that they had brought Mundungus with them. He was wearing a long overcoat that seemed oddly lumpy and unlike lumpy. <laughs> it seemed oddly lumpy in unlikely places, and declined the offer to remove it and put it with Moody's traveling cloak. Well. I think a toast is in order, said Mr. Weasley, when everyone had a drink. He raised his goblet. To Ron and Hermione, the new Gryffindor prefects. Ron and Hermione beamed as everyone drank to them, and then applauded. I was never a prefect myself, said Tonks brightly from behind Harry as everyone moved toward the table to help themselves to food. Her hair was tomato red and waist length today. She looked like Ginny's older sister. My head of house said that I lacked a certain necessary quality. That what? said Ginny, who was choosing a baked potato. Not the ability to behave myself, said Tonks. Ginny laughed. Hermione looked as though she did not know whether to smile, and compromised by taking on an extra large gulp of butterbeer and choking on it. What about you, Sirius? Ginny asked, thumping Hermione on the back. Sirius, who was right beside Harry, let out his usual bark-like laugh. <laughs> no one would have made me prefect. I spent too much time in detention with James. James was the good boy. He got the badge. I think Dumbledore might have hoped I would be able to exercise some control over my best friends, said Lupin. I need scarcely say that I failed dismally. Harry's mood suddenly lifted. His father had not been a prefect either. All at once, the party seemed much more enjoyable. He loaded up his plate, feeling doubly fond of everyone in the room. Ron was rhapsodizing about his new broom to anyone who would listen. Not to seventy in ten seconds. Not bad, is it? When you think that the Comet 290 is only not to sixty and that's with a decent tailwind according to which broomstick... Hermione was talking very earnestly to Lupin about her view of elf rights. I mean, it's the same kind of nonsense as werewolves. And the segregation, isn't it? It all stems from this horrible thing that wizards have thinking that they're superior to other creatures. Mrs. Weasley and Bill were having their usual arguments about Bill's hair. It's getting really out of hand, and you're so good looking it will look much better shorter, wouldn't it, Harry? I don't know, said Harry slightly alarmed at being asked his opinion. He slid away from them in the direction of Fred and George, who were huddled in a corner with Mundungus. Mundungus stopped talking when he saw Harry, but Fred winked and beckoned Harry closer. It's okay, he told Mundungus. We can trust Harry. He's our financial backer. Look what Dung's got us, said George, holding out his hand to Harry. It was full of what looked like shriveled black pods. A faint rattling noise was coming from them, even though they were completely stationary. 
venomous tentacular seeds, said George. We need them for the scarving snack boxes, but they're a classy, non-tradable substance, so we've had a bit of trouble getting a hold of them. Ten galleons the lot then, Dung, said Fred. For all the trouble I had to get em, said Mundungus, his saggy bloodshot eyes stretching even wider. I'm sorry, lads, but I'm not taking a nut under twenty. <laughs> Dung likes his little joke, Fred said to Harry. Yeah, his best one so far has been six sickles for a bag of noddle quills, said George. Be careful, Harry warned them quietly. What? said Fred. Mum's too busy cooing over Prefect Ron. We're okay. But Moody could have his eye on you, Harry pointed out. Mundungus looked nervously over his shoulder. Good point, that, he grunted. All right, lads, Ten uh, it is, if you make him quick. Cheers, Harry, said Fred delightedly, when Mundungus had emptied his pockets to the twins' outstretched hands and scuttled off toward the food. We better get these upstairs. Harry watched them go, feeling slightly uneasy. It had just occurred to him that Mr. and Mrs. Weasley would want to know how Fred and George were financing their joke shop business when, as was inevitable, they finally found out about it. Giving the twins his Triwizard winnings had seemed a simple thing to do at the time, but what if it led to another family row and a Percy-like estrangement? Would Mrs. Weasley still feel that Harry was as good as her own son if she found out he had made it possible for Fred and George to start a career she thought quite unsuitable? Standing where the twins had left him, with nothing but a guilty weight in the pit of his stomach for company, Harry caught the sound of his own name. Kingsley Shacklebolt's deep voice was audible even over the surrounding chatter. "'Why did Dumbledore make Potter a prefect?' asked Kingsley. "'He'll have had his reasons,' replied Lupin. "'But it would have shown confidence in him. That's what I'd have done,' persisted Kingsley." Especially with the gold, especially with the daily prophet having a go at him every few days. Harry did not look around. He did not want Lupin or Kingsley to know he had heard. Though not even remotely hungry, he followed Mundungus back toward the table. His pleasure in the party had evaporated as quickly as it had come. He wished he were back upstairs in bed. Mad-Eye Moody was sniffing chicken leg. Mad-Eye Moody was sniffing at a chicken leg with what remained of his nose. Evidently he did not detect any trace of poison because he then tore off a strip of it with his teeth. The handles made a Spanish oak with anti-jinx varnish and built-in vibration control, Ron was saying to Tonks. Mrs. Weasley yawned widely. Well, I think I'll sort out that bog out before I turn in. Arthur, I don't want this up this lot up too late, alright? Good night, Addie dear. She left the kitchen. Harry set down his plate and wondered whether he could follow her without distracting without attracting attention. You're right, Potter, grunted Moody. Yeah, fine, lied Harry. Moody took a swig from his hip flask electric blue eye staring sideways at Harry. Come here. I got something that might interest you, he said. 
From an inner pocket of his robes, Moody pulled a very tattered old wizarding photograph. It's the original order of the phoenix, growled Moody. I found it last night when I was looking for my spare invisibility cloak, seeing as Podmore hasn't returned my best one. I thought people might like to see it. Harry took the photograph. A small crowd of people, some waving at him, others lifting their glasses, looked back up at him. "'There's me,' said Moody, unnecessarily pointing at himself. The Moody in the picture was unmistakable, though his hair was slightly less grey and his nose was still intact. "'And there's Dumbledore beside me, Daedalus Diggle on the other side.' That's Marlene McKinnon. She was killed two weeks after this was taken. They got her whole family. That's Frank and Alice Longbottom. Harry's stomach, already uncomfortable, clenched as he looked at Alice Longbottom. He knew her round, friendly face very well, though he had never met her, because she was the image of her son, Neville. Poor devils, growled Moody. Better dead than what happened to them. And that's Emmeline Vance. You've met her, and that's Lupin, obviously. Benji Fenwick, he copped it too. Only ever found bits of him. Shift aside there, he added, poking the picture and the little photographic people edged sideways, so that those who were partially obscured could come up to the front. That's Edgar Bones, brother of Amelia Bones. Got him and his family too. He was a great wizard. Sturgis Podmore, blimey, he looks young. Caradoc Dearborn, vanished six months after this, never found his body. Hagrid, of course, looks exactly the same as ever. Alphaeus Doge, you've met him. I'd forgotten he used to wear that stupid hat. Gideon Pruitt, took all five Death Eaters to kill him, and his brother Fabian, they fought like heroes. Budge along, budge along. The little people in the photograph jostled amongst themselves, and those hidden right at the back appeared at the front of the picture. That's Dumbledore's brother, Aberforth. Only time I ever met him. Strange bloke, that's that's Dorcas Meadows. Voldemort killed her personally. Serious, when he still had short hair, and there you go. I thought that would interest you. Harry's heart turned over. His mother and father were beaming up at him, sitting on either side of a small, watery-eyed man whom Harry recognized at once as Wormtail, the one who had betrayed his parents' whereabouts to Voldemort and so helped bring about their deaths. Eh, said Moody. Harry looked up into Moody's heavily scarred and pitted face. Evidently, Moody was under the impression he had just given Harry a bit of a treat. Yeah, said Harry, once again attempting to grin. Um, listen, I've just remembered. I haven't packed my... He was spared the trouble of inventing an object he had not yet packed. Sirius had just said, What's that you got there, Mad-Eye? And Moody had turned toward him. Harry crossed the kitchen, slipped through the door and up the stairs before anyone could call him back. He did not know why it had given him such a shock. He had seen pictures of his parents before, after all, and he had met Wormtail. But to have them sprung on him like that, when he was least expecting it. 
No one would like that, he thought angrily. And then to see them surrounded by all those other happy faces. Benji Fenwick, who had been found in bits. And Gideon Pruitt, who had died like a hero. And the Longbottoms, who had been tortured into madness. All waving happily out of the photograph forevermore, not knowing that they were doomed. Well, Moody might find it interesting, but he, Harry, had found it disturbing. Harry tiptoed up the stairs into the hall, past the stuffed elf heads, glad to be on his own again, but as he approached the first landing, he heard noises. Someone was sobbing in the drawing room. Hello, Harry said. There was no answer, but the sobbing continued. He climbed the remaining stairs two at a time, walked across the landing and opened the drawing room door. Someone was cowering against the dark wall, her wand in her hand, her whole body shaking with sobs, sprawled on the dusty old carpet in a patch of moonlight, clearly dead, was Ron. All the air seemed to vanish from Harry's lungs. He felt as though he were falling through the floor. His brain turned icy. Ron? Dead? No, it couldn't be. But wait a moment, it couldn't be. Ron was downstairs. Mrs. Weasley? Harry croaked. <laughs> Ridiculous! <laughs> Mrs. Weasley sobbed, pointing her shaking wand at Ron's body. Ron's body turned into Bill's, spread eagle on his back, his eyes wide open and empty. Mrs. Weasley sobbed harder than ever. Ridiculous! She sobbed again. <coughs> Crack. Mr. Weasley's body replaced Bill's, his glasses askew, a trickle of blood running down his face. No! Mrs. Weasley moaned. No! Ridiculous! 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 <coughs> Dead twins. <coughs> Dead Percy. <coughs> Dead Harry. Mrs. Weasley, just get out of here, shouted Harry, staring down at his own dead body. Let someone else... What's going on? Lupin had come running into the room, followed closely by Sirius, with Moody stumping along behind them. Lupin looked from Mrs. Weasley to the dead Harry on the floor and seemed to understand in an instant. Pulling out his own wand, he said, very firmly and clearly, Ridiculous. Harry's body vanished. A silvery orb hung in the air, in the spot where it had lain. Lupin waved his wand once more, and the orb vanished in a puff of smoke. <gasps> Gulped Mrs. Weasley, and she broke into a storm of crying, her face in her hands. Molly, said Lupin bleakly, walking over to her. Molly, don't. Next second, she was sobbing her heart out on Lupin's shoulder. Molly, it was just a bogart, he said soothingly, patting her on the head. Just a stupid bogart. <laughs> I see them dead all the time, Mrs. Weasley moaned into his shoulder. All the time, I, dr I, I dream about it. Sirius was staring at the patch of carpet where the bogart, 
pretending to be Harry's body had lain. Moody was looking at Harry, who avoided his gaze. He had a funny feeling Moody's magical eye had followed him all the way from the kitchen. Don't, don't tell Arthur, Mrs. Weasley was gulping now, mopping her eyes frantically with her cuffs. I don't, don't, I don't want him to know. Being silly. Lupin handed her a handkerchief and she blew her nose. Harry, I'm so sorry. What must you think of me? She said shakily. Not even able to get rid of a bogart. Don't be stupid, said Harry, trying to smile. I'm just, I'm just so worried, she said, tears spilling out of her eyes again. After the family's in the order, it'll, it'll be a miracle if we all come through this. And Percy's not talking to us. What if something dreadful happens and we're never able to get it made up with him? What's going to happen if Arthur and I get killed? Who's going to look after our ninjany? Molly, that's enough, said Lupin firmly. This isn't like last time. The Order are better prepared. We've got a head start. We know what Voldemort's up to. Mrs. Weasley gave a little squeak of fright at the sound of the name. <gasps> oh, Molly, come on, it's about time you got used to hearing that name. Look, I can't promise no one's going to get hurt. Nobody can promise that, but we're much better off than we were last time. You weren't in the order then, you don't understand. Last time we were outnumbered twenty to one by Death Eaters, and they were picking us off one by one. Harry thought about the photograph of his parents' beaming faces. He knew Moody was still watching him. Don't worry about Percy, said Sirius abruptly. He'll come around. It's only a matter of time before Voldemort moves into the open. Once he does, the whole ministry is going to be begging us to forgive them. And I'm not sure I'll be accepting their apology, he added bitterly. And as for who's going to look after Ron and Ginny if you and Arthur died, said Lupin, smiling slightly. What do you think we would do? Let them starve? Mrs. Weasley smiled tremulously. tremulously. Oh, being silly, she muttered again, mopping her eyes. But Harry, closing his bedroom door behind him some ten minutes later, could not think Mrs. Weasley silly. He could still see his parents beaming up at him from the tattered old photograph, unaware that their lives, like so many of those around them, were drawing to a close. The image of the Bogart posing as the corpse of each member of Mrs. Weasley's family kept flashing before his eyes. Without warning, the scar on his forehead seared with pain again, and his stomach churned horribly. Cut it out, he said firmly, rubbing the scar as the pain receded. First sign of madness, talking to your own head, said a sly voice from the empty picture in the wall. Harry ignored it. He felt older than he had ever felt in his life, and it seemed, it seemed extraordinary to him that barely an hour ago he had been worried about a joke shop and who got a prefix badge.
that is the end of the chapter. Now, who said it? Julia said, we'll probably go to bed after this chapter because it's 6 till 11 here. That is quite all right. That is the last chapter we are reading tonight. We got to an awfully late start because of the technical issues. Winslow, we are on book five, Order of the Phoenix. Let's go back to the library, shall we? We are on book five. We are plugging along. We're just reaching chapter 10. We're going to start with chapter 10 next week. Um... Trisha says, I find Mrs. Weasley so overbearing in this book. I think this book, I honestly find her more and more endearing in book five. Um, it's interesting. I, I can understand why you're saying that, of course. Um, she does have, you know, she she's worried constantly. Um, and we see a lot more of that from her. But I think, um, I, th I, I really, I can't, hmm, how do I say it? I appreciated the portrayal of the surrounding worry that encompasses this whole effort of the the order of the phoenix i think it's important to to call to attention the fact that people have things to lose it's not it's not like they're just going up against voldemort and and saying you know what whatever happens happens heck with it no these are people with families and and mrs weasley is a voice of reason i think um as is lupin of course and you know sometimes those two voices of reason disagree with one another but um I think Mrs. Weasley is very, very easy to understand, at least in my mind, when she says, no, keep these these children out of it. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me we're going to get them involved? She is concerned for her family, but she also, I mean, she, she knows what the death toll is like. And that it can be worse than death. She knows what the Order of the Phoenix does and what they are getting into and who they are fighting. And it's people who are, they're fighting a brutal, evil force. And I think uh, the recognition of the sacrifices that have to be made, I think a lot of times um, in, you know, things like, whoa, what just happened? Oh, suddenly all the chat is here? Is that what I'm seeing? Where is this? What is this? What just happened here? Ah, whatever. I'll try to get it sorted out for next week. Um, it's also incredibly tiny, isn't it? That probably has to get... Next time. Next time I'll sort it out. Um, I think in, in so many series... Um, I think Aragon is one of the first ones that comes to mind. Uh, we see it a little bit in... Um, not, not quite to the same kind of heinous degree in The Hunger Games. Uh, but we see a separation between a person who's fighting for something and the thing that they are actually fighting for. Um, and I think it bring, it gives this skewed view of what fighting for a cause like this is actually like. Um, you know, uh, in, in Aragon, you know, the, the groups that he fights for, he'll occasionally lose someone, but it's always like, oh yeah, you know, just power on toward the goal. The, the risks that you take are not just for yourself when you're fighting in a cause like this and there are certainly worse examples but um i think i think having having mrs weasley's voice having her be the one that expresses this idea that i'm sure many of them feel to a certain degree maybe not zealots like sirius or moody but uh I don't, honestly after the events of tonight maybe maybe sirius as well um but i think she is 
the voice of that concern, that that thing that you have to recognize when you've got a cause to fight for, and people do right now. People do nowadays. There are causes to fight for. Um, climate change. Climate change, yep. Climate change is a big one. Go Greta. Uh, the the insanity in Hong Kong right now. There are it, this the 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 moments where you fight do not happen in a vacuum. They don't happen in ways that are independent and and separated from the things that you love in your life. You know the the people who are important to you. And I think I think this is a great example of uh, people recognizing how much people risk. Jeff says, I'm guessing having as many kids as Molly does, husband in the order, no other job or role in life, her entire sense of self is also at risk. Uh, I think that's a possibility. Yeah, I think, you know, when, when someone dedicates their lives to, uh, uh, you know, serving people in a very particular way, um, you know, for, for Arthur, it's serving people at the ministry. And for, for Molly, it is uh, you know, serving people as a caretaker and as, as someone who cares deeply for them. And so I think, you know, it's possible that she feels part of her identity is at risk. And not only that, but this is what part of her identity is. Luke, have a great night. Pleasure to meet you as well. Glad we could have you here. Hope to see you again. Well, do we do this every week? So <laughs> hope to see you later. And uh, Luke, and honestly, everyone else um, in Luke's part of the world, Ukraine, Russia, uh, various parts of the Asiatic continent, I do look forward to being friends with y'all again. We have people over our heads who want to make all sorts of a big fuss about all sorts of stupid, stupid, stupid things. Um, I'm glad we can meet here and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, hang out as we should be able to without um without that interference i hope you have a great week luke great to see you um <laughs> trisha says reminds me of my mother uh winslow says i literally just got finished with your audios of azkaban i'm taking a harry potter course this year and you're a godsend are you really interesting winslow well um, feel free to recommend me to, uh, any of your classmates, um, because the reward for recommending this, and I honestly, I don't think I'm ever going to be clear of this because when I started this little initiative, um, I was, I was at what, what, what was my count at? Do you remember when I started this? I think I was, I was under 200. I'm almost sure about it. Um, and I decided I was going to do three bean, or I was going to do a bean for every three subscribers I got. I have, I have no room in my body for the amount of beans I would have to eat to actually keep up with that. But we are maintaining the tradition. We are. We're doing it. As such, I would like to summon my lovely, lovely assistant. I don't think I would have. No. Frontman Cassidy. Um, <laughs> Have a great night, Ashley. Uh, Mad Eye sounds like a pirate. Yes, she does. Okay. What? Uh, Ash, Ashlyn, don't worry about it. Um, it was a mess today. Don't worry about the notification. I'll get the VOD up. It'll be edited. Um, so we don't have to deal with this crazy craziness. I think I think there were probably four, maybe even five different stream headings started so don't worry you are very late 
Um, but I was very late to start. So uh, we're only doing the one chapter tonight. I'm doing beans and then I'm going to sign off. But go ahead and jump into the Discord. The link should be in the description. It's a mess this week, so maybe it's not yet. But uh, uh, that is where you can find me after the streams to uh, to discuss. All right. I think I think we'll do three. Oh boy. Okay. Well, she's got this this horrible horrible grin on her face. All right. I need my I need my my hat. Do you see it over there? All right. I got a blindfold up. All right. So here's the tradition. I have a carton of Birdie Bots Every Flavor beans. I got beaned. Because as usual, the subconscious keeps going up. You guys have been doing a great job recommending to people, and I really, really appreciate it. And as such, I'm going to eat some gross stuff. Ready? Let's do this. Camera's right there this time. Yeah. I think there's some spiciness underneath this, but before, before I go too far, I'm just going to go. Not spicy. Is it sausage? I think it might. I think it's sausage again. I hate the sausage beans. I don't even have water with me this time to like knock them back. Somebody pray for me. <laughs> oh. Oh, this is horrifying. Hey, we got, <laughs> we got our first notification. I was wondering if that would pop up, but yeah, check it out. As you can see, I have a sub alert thing now. Oh. Terrible. They're so bad. Mm. I wonder if I can just go ahead and turn up the text size on this. That would be pretty dope. Font settings. Ooh, I can. Let's turn it up to like 50. Let's see how how awful that looks. Okay. All right. Let's do the next one. I'm ready for it. I'm not. I never am. All right. Let me know when it's incoming. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's a rotten egg kind of theme song is what I'm getting there. I don't want to, I don't want to do this. What is that? I don't know what that one is. It doesn't sound from, it, it tastes like a burnt cake. Flavor is spot on. It's not a banana maybe? What? Anybody who's new here, I'm terrible at guessing these flavors, so um, I do not know. Grass. This is grass. Didn't taste like grass. <laughs> oh, uh, Ashlyn, uh, today's stream issue ended up being. Um, oh wait, I could do something pretty interesting with this, couldn't I? 
uh, I'll mess with it later. Um, but uh, I had my uh, refresh rate. I believe I believe it's called uh, essentially the 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 speed the speed in hertz um, at which my my audio equipment was communicating with one another was slightly different, and so it was desynced and uh, I got really blippy audio. So I've gone gone and went ahead and set every single thing on my computer to forty eight hundred or forty um yeah forty eight thousand. So I'm ready for another one. That one wasn't terrible. That was grass, apparently, but not terrible. Don't don't say that. Don't say interesting. That's super interesting. Uh uh-uh. uh. Don't say that. It's not interesting. It's super interesting. I think that one's toothpaste. Bubblegum. I don't think it's one of the terrible ones. It's actually probably considered a good one. Is it watermelon again? No. Nope. Nope. This one might be banana. It's banana. Yeah. And you know what? Hmm. Green screened out. Did it? Was it was it green? No, it was yellow with brown polka dots. Oh. I got a banana one. Definitely not my favorite, but No, the 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 grass one was weirdly not bad. Thank you, my lovely assistant. You're welcome. <laughs> shoo, shoo. Good doing that to me. You stop that. All right. Everyone, thank you so much for bearing in in with this stream. That none of that means any none of those words mean anything. I didn't say an actual phrase just now. Thank you all for bearing with me as I was uh trying to get this stream booted up. Um and I just want to express that sort of um in perpetuity. Y'all have been so patient with the various, you know, myriad stream issues that I've had um, over the course of this great adventure. And uh, you guys have been really generous about um, your time, that's for sure, and about uh, your enthusiasm for this. Um, and so I, I, I really appreciate it so much when you guys have, have stuck with me while we were having issues with audio and with video and as we were um, trying to deal with, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, all sorts of technology, streaming, you know, stream dropping, all sorts of just uh, things that really, by all counts, probably should have uh, gotten you to turn tail and run from this thing. But uh, you haven't. You've stuck around. I see, I see names in here that are consistent every week. Um, like I'm looking at five of them right now, names that I see every week as I do this. And so I really appreciate it. Um, all of you sticking with me through this. Uh, of course, Cassidy, thank you for the encouragement as I'm over here having a, a mild anxiety uh, issue as I'm trying to get the stream up and it won't work for whatever reason. Um, but uh, that's what happens. That's what happens when uh, you've got people around you who love you. So thank you all. Cassidy, thank you so much. That's why you're my love. Um, and I look forward to doing this again next week. I do. In spite of all this, as long as I can get it working, I look forward to it every week. I look forward to it a lot, honestly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, once I get the... Once I get the um, 
I, I think I've got I, I got adequate feedback about um, the the sound effects and the music. I would love to do more of that in the future. Um, the once I've got a more stable program, it seems like the the music was distracting. Um, and I think that that sounds perfectly reasonable. I do. It was, it started to repeat a lot. And so I think what I'm going to do with that is just have like little musical stings, like at the start of a chapter and then maybe like between chapter breaks and everything, but not hanging out in the background while I'm reading. And then as far as the sound effects go, um, I'd love to bring those back in a nice kind of subtle background thing. Um, uh, once I've got a program that can handle it because I was using one that just wasn't stable enough. I would just, I would, it would be functional right up until I needed it to be. And then it would stop being functional. And as far as I can tell, there wasn't even a fix for it. Jeff says, good job making it work, Sam. It's one of the best parts of my week. I'm so glad. I'm so glad about it. Best parts of my week too. Um, Ashton says, God, I can't believe I was late, but I, I'm glad I could catch a bit of it anyway. I'm glad you could too. I, I'm going to keep looking at that other webcam that's not on anymore. You're right here now. <laughs> Jeff, yeah, okay. So, yeah, the the uh, I meant sort of the music, like, during the chapters themselves. Um, the music for the, like, title screen, as you guys show up before I actually show my face, that will be back for sure um, so that you guys can turn it on in the background and set your phone aside or what have you and then come back to it when you hear the music fade out and you start to hear my voice that i do think is very useful um just one of the things i forgot in the kerfuffle um for anybody who doesn't know the whole reason why we're in such an issue tonight in such a dither is that i'm on a totally new machine today um my laptop that i had been using to stream uh the i i believe i'm very confident that the hard drive is ticking and anybody who knows about computers will tell you that that is bad bad news so i've been working on uh retrieving all my data off of it and um it's possible i'll be able to replace the the hard drive but we shall see um ultimately this laptop i think has a bit more uh strength to it i think i've been more stable overall throughout this stream and um I'm able to support a few programs that I couldn't on mine before. So overall, I think it's good news, but of course, growing pains, growing pains. I remember back when I was a teenager and my shins would ache all the time because I was shooting up like a bean, like a bean sprout. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about, but if you'd like to hear me talk about it more, I'll be in the Discord for a while after we uh, shut down here, which I'm probably going to do in the next 5-10 minutes. Um, thank you all so much for being here, as always. Uh, you can find the link below to the Discord. Uh, I want to give a big thank you to Shlomo, who was up in the chat earlier. Um, he helped me sort of get my feet underneath me in regards to what to do with my old laptop and how to proceed from here. Um, big thanks to Aaron for uh, the, the new hardware. Um, and then as always, huge thanks to Cassidy and Rachel and Nate for all the enthusiasm and, uh, to Austin as well. And I appreciate the many, many people yeah, I've talked about it before, you know, uh, one of my favorite things about Harry Potter is that it really spotlights all the people who got Harry to where he was at the end of these books. And, uh, 
you know, my, my face is the one who ends up in this little box right here, but I've got a lot of people who have helped me a ton with this and uh, gives me a chance to do this with you all. So thank you so much. I love y'all. All y'all, I love you. Um, over the course of this week, I hope you have a good one. I'm going to be back on Tuesday with Great Gatsby, and I will be back next Thursday, one week from today, at uh, 6 p.m. Pacific time with more Harry Potter. I'll probably be back to two. I'll probably do chapters 10 and 11, I imagine. Um, and let's see. What else? Anything else? I don't think so. I hope you all have a wonderful week. I think that's it. Have a good one. I'm signing off. Bye-bye.